going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I am your host, Jake Brainy, on this very special early morning episode of the Jake. Uh, been busy at nights, and to be honest, been waking up early anyway, so might as well turn on the computer and start recording. Figured there's a lot to get to. Been uh, been a while since I recorded last. Uh, had a couple sports updates for you, but also vacation updates went on. A vacation went on uh, went away to a wedding got my birthday coming up got my girlfriend's birthday tomorrow a lot, lot of fun things happening on this late July morning uh, hope everyone's enjoyed their July one of the best months of the year coming to a close and you know it goes by so fast especially when you got a lot of things going on uh, made it out to Cape Cod for the first time in like 10 years for uh, my cousin's wedding and it was fun had an absolute blast, uh, sweat my everything off, and just was like a big sweaty mess. But you know, once you can get past that like initial sweat of like, all right, I'm uncomfortable, I look gross, but now I'm on the dance floor and everyone's like a little sweaty. Now you just look like the person hustling on the floor, which is a great person to be. So I just like you know, I had a backup shirt, I was ready to roll. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to stay in the sweaty shirt, be the sweaty guy on the dance floor. And you know what? Maybe I wasn't wedding MVP. There was some chatter going on, maybe. But uh, just to be considered was, you know, was phenomenal. I appreciate that. So shout out to Dean and Laura DeParo. Congratulations. Uh, I think they ended up going to Greece afterwards, which seems to be the hot spot for honeymoons these days. But yeah, went up to Cape Cod. Saw, uh, it was not what we expected. I was expecting it to be a little more of like a beachy town. And, uh, it was a lot more woodsy than I remember. It was a lot more of like, you know, when you're driving around, you're on a very narrow road in between a lot of trees and, uh, just not what I kind of expected. And, uh, it was still really cool. Had a, had a blast up there. The, uh, venue was super nice. Uh, again, this is the brainy side of the family. So, the best people in the world to be celebrating a wedding with. It was really, it was really a blast. It was Sam's first uh, shot at the Brainy family wedding. She was on the dance floor a lot, uh, bum ankle and all. I mean, just what a trooper. So, uh, and a big shout out to Sam with her birthday coming up. I'm organizing her gifts as we speak, to be honest, to make sure we're ready to roll and uh, ready to get after it on Ju- July 31st, where. We'll be going to Brando's, my favorite shore restaurant. One of my favorite restaurants in the world, but uh, definitely my favorite Jersey Shore restaurant. So we'll be going there tomorrow night. And then for my birthday on Sunday, going to be celebrating with my parents. And uh, they're going to be taking me out to Charlie's of Bayhead, which is like my literally next favorite restaurant after Brando's. So going to be eating pretty nice this weekend and uh, see some friends, see some family, you know, whoever's around, gonna be a lo- gonna be a lot of fun, bringing in the big three zero. Yeah, thirty this weekend. Yeah, a lot of people think like, oh, that's like a really big deal, and I, you know, haven't really thought about that much. I'm like, you know, it's age is just a number type thing, which I never thought I'd kind of be like the person to say that, but it really is. You you know, you can do whatever you want at thirty or twenty nine or thirty one. Doesn't really matter. So, but uh, enough about me. I know. You guys probably think I talk a lot about me, but so we, it was a weird one. I called last week's episode, episode 81, 
and or at least I saved it as that and titled it as that. Incorrect. Last week's episode was episode 80. This is actually, in fact, 81. So I don't know how I'm going to label that on the podcast uh, when it goes on to Apple and it goes on to um, the other thing that I put it on. Yikes. But it's, you know, so I'll need to make sure I separate them. SoundCloud is the other thing I put on. I need to make sure I separate them, make sure it's easy. But got a great guest for you today. We're going to have Mac Robinson uh, of the OBR. Really excited to have him on because, uh, you know, been following a lot of his stuff and a lot of the Orange and Brown Report, uh, you know, content for a while now. And you know what? Brown's training camp just opened up. Things are looking pretty fierce. Uh, a lot of competing, a lot of good stories coming out of camp. So would love to get Mac in here and uh, talk about that. Going to end the podcast with Mac's interview. Uh, should be a lot of fun because, uh, yeah, this is spring. This is summer camp. You know, it's on. It, it, we are excited to be back from Baker's mustache to kick return duties to what, what's going on at the running back position uh, who's shining at linebacker. There's a lot of really cool things going on with the Cleveland Browns. And considering the amount of hype around the Browns this year, you know, it, it's 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 going to be a wild season. And to think there's more hype around this season than there was last year. And last year was the one with Baker Mayfield, with Tyrod Taylor, with uh, Hard Knocks. I mean, you, you thought you couldn't pass the hype of last year. And last year is no competition to this year. So uh, that's going to be a, a great interview. Going to want to check around, uh, stay around for that later on. But uh, first, let's uh, get into a little baseball. We got, you know, the trade deadline is tomorrow. And with the new rules this year, uh, there is no August waiver period. So there's no acquiring Josh Donaldson or Jay Bruce at the end of August like the Cleveland Indians have done the last two years. Um it's been a couple years of the Indians kind of staying quiet at the deadline, but then uh, getting that bat for pretty cheap to end the season because, you know, face the facts, Indians have to operate differently because of them being a small market team and not really being able to just shell out a couple million dollars to pay a guy's last half of his season. So there's a lot that needs to be factored into who the Indians can acquire. That's why they go after guys like Andrew Miller and Brad Hand lefty bullpen guys that you know are going to be around for a couple years because they're signed to somewhat team-friendly contracts. Now, when they signed those deals, they were top-of-the-market closers. Uh, But now, you know, Brad Hand, he's still a top-of-the-market closer, and he's getting paid less than top dollar. So that's the type of contract the Indians have to go for. Other than that, they have to go for controllable bats. That's really what they need right now. Uh, They've got a really good rotation even with the injuries to Kluber, to Carrasco, uh, the previous injuries to Clevenger, the fact that their replacements like Savale and uh, or Savale—I don't even know how to pronounce it. He's only made one start. Savale, Heffrey uh, Rodriguez, and uh, Danny Salazar—the guys that are supposed to come in and fill in for those guys. Even those guys have been injured, and the Indians still have had a great rotation, uh, but. That means that that's just a position of strength and an area that they may have to deal from because they have so much money allocated there next year. You have Corey Kluber making $18.5 million. You have Carlos Carrasco making almost $15 million. 
Trevor Bauer is going to be in his last year of arbitration making probably 20 to $21 million, depending on how he finishes this season. So a small market team like the Indians, who are actively trying to create money so that they can sign Francisco Lindor, uh, they had to trade away young talent like Yandy Diaz, Yandy Diaz to make sure they could pay for salary this year. They had to let Michael Brantley go, who signed a very team-friendly contract with the Houston Astros. This is how small market clubs act. They can't afford all these pitchers next year. So the best thing to do is trade Trevor Bauer because he has one year left. He's made it pretty clear he's not going to re-sign a long-term deal with Cleveland, and frankly, Cleveland shouldn't re-sign him long-term. He wants to sign one-year deals the rest of his career, which is dumb, but... Uh, he want, he believes in himself that he'll never get hurt and that he'll always be a top-of-the-line pitcher and that he'll always sign one-year deals. So whatever, you know, good luck with that, Trevor. But uh, So that's kind of the story right now is that the Indians are going to have to deal Bauer, if not at the deadline, this winter. So that gives them, you know, they still have a year left. So they do have bargaining power that they don't have to deal him right now. So they don't have to deal him for anything less than they find market value because worst comes to worst, they'll keep the very good starting pitcher. They'll keep Trevor Bauer on the team, help them get to the playoffs this year, and help them in the playoffs with another ace because there are only so many aces in the league, and the Indians have a couple of them. So they should use those cards wisely. Now, this offseason, the previous offseason, I didn't want to deal Kluber or Bauer. I thought it was crazy. I thought the big thing the Indians had going for them is the fact that they have this starting pitching depth and uh, they they can basically can't be competed with for this starting pitching depth. So trading from that, you need to make sure you're getting something spectacular. Now they held on to both guys. Uh, Kluber had a couple tough starts to start the season, and then on a comebacker back to the mound in Miami, uh, broke his arm. A lot of bad luck there. Uh, then Carlos Carrasco, in which even worse luck, was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, by all counts, he's doing great, which is awesome. And the team has really rallied around him. And he's such a great personality to have in the clubhouse that it's no shock that uh, every everyone's keeping very high spirits. But again, I mean, a huge blow to him and his family, not just uh, you know to his career, but also his life. So uh, there. And then Mike Clevenger, two starts into the season, he you know pitches twelve innings, uh, has like. Double-digit strikeouts, hasn't given up a run, only gave up one hit, and uh, leaves the game with a little funky back soreness and uh, misses two months. So right off the bat, you're missing your one, two or three, and four starters. And Trevor Bauer was up and down this season. And Shane Bieber was the one rock of the rotation, gets the All-Star Game MVP, and is seemingly going to be the ace next year, which is wild how quickly that has happened, coming from a 2016 draft pick to a 2020 ace, 2019 All-Star Game MVP. Just shocking stuff for Shane. Uh, Shut out Shane Bieber. He's going to be on the mound against the Astros, and everyone's going to be watching. It's going to be exciting stuff for him this week. But back to Bauer. You know, a lot of people think he's on the trade block because he hasn't, I don't know, uh, brash personality because he can be a little childish 
or misbehave or be a distraction. That's not why he's on the trade deadline or trade block. He's on the trade block because the tribe just can't afford to keep all these pitchers. If they move him, and the perfect deal seems to be with the New York Yankees because uh, they are getting pretty desperate for starting pitching help considering they give up about 10 million runs a game. Uh, their ace, Tanaka, got shelled in the, uh, in Boston. And then the next night, James Paxton, their big free agent addition, uh, he got shelled too. So, I mean, they can't be happy going into the playoffs with those two leading their club. The thought would be add a controllable young arm, Trevor Bauer, because they have him for an additional year. You get him for two pennant runs. So Trevor Bauer seems to be one of the top pitchers available. Uh, Madison Bumgarner's out there, but again, he becomes a free agent this offseason, so you're really only getting a rental. Marcus Stroman had one more year, but was already traded to the New York Mets. Don't know how and why that happened, other than the fact that the Mets really just don't know what they're doing. Uh, maybe they see Stroman as a long-term option. They're going to sign him long-term because he grew up a Mets fan, I believe. I don't know. Uh, the Mets kind of threw a wrench into this deadline, but it's a lot of fun now because there's less starting pitching available for those teams that really need it. It seems like the Blue Jays took less from the Mets, by the way, to send them to the, to the Mets and not the Yankees, which I think is really funny. Anyway... Bauer's one of the best arms available, because if you're not going Bauer, you're going to Wheeler, the other Met, uh, who I don't think will be traded to the Yankees, or Noah Syndergaard, who I got to believe that the asking price for him is just astronomical, uh, and, and, and Madbum, like I said, who's only a rental. Other than that, you have Trevor Bauer, who has a less than four ERA, and that when he's keeping the ball in the ballpark or not chucking the ball into the stands... He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He is too smart for his own good sometimes. And he overreacts to everything. But in terms of talent, the kid's got it. Now, I think a deal with the Yankees, as much as I don't want him pitching for the Yankees and possibly making the World Series in a Yankee uniform, I really don't want that happening. But uh, if we're thinking what's the best thing for the Indians, if they can get Miguel Andujar... Clint Frazier and, let's say, like a low A, high A uh, pitching prospect that they like, you might have to swing and do this deal. But remember, you want to make sure you're getting 100% value. Because if you don't, you might as well just hold on to them and trade them this offseason. Can't express that enough. Like, don't trade him for less than what you think you can get. You know, if you think you can get more this winter or equal this winter and still have them for this year's run, you do that. Because we don't have to trade the ace. If they do trade him, they do come into a problem, too, of hoping Kluber comes back from his injury and Salazar back from his injury soon enough that they can enter the rotation. If they did, however, trade him to the Yankees and they got Frazier, that would solve their uh, they need a right-handed bat problem. He's controllable for a bunch of years. Same with Andujar, but he, I think, is out for the whole season. But that would help replace Jason Kipnis this offseason with a very young, right-handed infield bat. You move Jose to second. You put Andujar at third. Frazier can either play in right or hopefully a DH him because his defense isn't that great. And uh, all of a sudden, your middle of the lineup 
adds some huge pop, something Indians lineups really never have that much pop. Uh, it comes from Santana. It comes from Lindor. I mean, Michael Brantley, you know, in his best years with the Indians, he was still like a teens home run hitter. And Encarnacion, he had two big years, but uh, again, those came at the price of strikeouts. These young power hitting positional players could be very helpful for the Cleveland Indians. So it's a trade that they should consider. I've been wanting them to deal with San Diego, but I kind of think San Diego won't be in the buying market for Bauer, at least until the winter, because they aren't really contending this year. They aren't competing for a World Series, so it's uh, hard to see them say, you know what, we got to go get Trevor Bauer right now because, uh, you know, they can just wait till the winter to go get a guy. So uh, interesting to see how many buyers are actually out there. The Braves seem to be another buyer. Um and the Yankees seem to be like the biggest one. The Astros are also a buyer, but I uh, don't really want to deal with the Astros unless you're getting another big haul. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. It's going to be a really interesting deadline because of the no August waiver period. And I'm very curious to see if any deals go down today, of course, after this uh, or before this podcast is released, but after I record. Uh, most likely that will be the case. So, uh, really, really cool. If you have any deadline uh, projections, if you have any predictions, projections, whatever, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Do the Yankees go out and get a starting pitcher? Uh, is it Trevor Bauer? Is it Thor? Uh, Noah Syndergaard? Is it Madison Bumgarner? Do they do do the rental thing? So we'll see what uh, what what happens. Do the Indians deal Bauer? Uh, does he maybe go to the West Coast? Maybe they trade him to the L.A. Dodgers, who seemingly, every time they can, improve. Which makes me very curious. Uh, I want to get into uh, more Bauer and OBJ stuff, because there's been a, you know, this, this cloud over Trevor Bauer for a while. And this cloud that also came in when the Browns traded for Odell Beckham. Now, I've been very vocal about both these players, whether they were in Cleveland or not. Bowers spent 99% of his career with Cleveland. He's, he came up with Arizona, played like a little bit there, but then was traded immediately to the Indians uh, and has played with the Indians for like seven years. So I've had a lot of Trevor Bauer. Odo Beckham I was a huge fan of coming out of college, uh, and I really wanted him in the 2014 draft with Johnny Manziel. Uh, was wrong on Johnny Manziel, but was right with Odo Beckham. I didn't want Sammy Watkins. Uh, I didn't want Mike Evans, even though Mike Evans is very good. I wanted Odo Beckham, and he ended up going to the New York Giants. Uh, Giants fans at first didn't really see the reason for him, which made me pissed because... Uh, they were like, "What? Why? Why do we need Odell? We have Victor Cruz." And I was like, "Victor Cruz, come on! He's like, he, he's a nice success story from UMass. Odell Beckham can change the league." So yeah, that I mean, that made me scratch my head. I was uh, frustrated, but then Giant fans learned really, really early on that Odell Beckham is a special player, uh, making one-handed catches, uh, acrobatic in the field. When he runs a slant pattern, he's probably the most dangerous player in the NFL. Uh, if you have a quarterback that can get him the ball, 
it, it, he's he's the mismatch of the century. And I've always liked him. I always wanted him. Uh, and then once he made to the NFL, though, there have been some baggage issues. And I wasn't a fan of those. I'll, I'll be the first to admit. And I addressed this back in March when the, when the Browns traded for him. I didn't like the whole whatever was going on in that Paris Hotel room video. Uh, didn't didn't like that. Hate seeing that out there. But no failed drug tests. Nothing like that is out there. So God give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, then there was the whole kicking net thing, which I thought was stupid. Uh, he punched the kicking net, which which was was one thing, which is like, you know, you just look dumb because you're on camera. Uh, but what I really hated was late in the games uh, when he started like proposing to the kicking net or hugging it or kissing it. There was one time against the Packers where they were just about to lose and he caught a touchdown and he goes and like hugs the kicking net. I mean, I hate that shit. I hope I don't see it uh, in Cleveland. Uh, and I'm just willing to say, you know what? It happened in New York. You have a fresh start in, in with the Browns. You have a fresh start. So, um, and then there was obviously the interview with Lil Wayne where he kind of badmouthed Eli. He didn't need to have Lil Wayne. And it was released right before they had a game on like a Sunday morning. It just, it, it was just a lot of things. It seemed like he needed a fresh start. Hopefully he has that fresh start. But uh, I, you know, I'll say this. I'm still a fan of him. I, I want him to succeed with the Browns. I think he's getting a lot of too much negative backlash after he left the uh, after he was traded from the Giants, especially since he said more things like he's excited to play in front of Browns fans that want to see him. Where it's like, you know, then New York fans freaked out about that and they're like, "Oh, you mean this stadium?" It's like, yes, okay. New York has more people than Cleveland. Congratulations, there are more people in the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey. Um, and, and whatever the fucking third state is, is it Pennsylvania? Is it Connecticut? I, I never really know what the third state is, but it, it, there's more people in New York and New Jersey alone than there is in like, you know, the fucking greater Cleveland area. So to compare the fan base size isn't exactly fair, even though the Browns have the biggest worldwide fan base period, uh, Browns fans are going to show up. They always show up. Sometimes we leave games early because we're getting trounced and it's fucking 10 degrees uh, at the end of a 4-12 and season. <clears throat> so, yeah, take your picture. That's fine. But Browns fans are fucking diehard. We love our team. And I'm constantly defending them online because too many fan bases are, like, annoyed with us already. They think, oh, my God, these, you know, Browns fans are so annoying. They, like... Don't they haven't even done anything yet? And look at them, listen to them. Like, yeah, well, we've been losing for 19 years, 20 years almost, two decades of losing. You know, we made the playoffs one time. We've had a winning record, what, two times? I mean, come on. Like, yeah, we're, we're starving for a winner. The amount of coach and quarterback turnover. The amount of things that we've had to go through over over just these past two decades, not even considering the fact that the '80s Browns made it so close and were like the you know the original dog pound, and lost in heartbreaking fashion year after year in the late '80s, like that's not even com like bringing in that factor. We're just talking about the amount of losing we've had to deal with this turnover, this century. Yeah, we're a little loud. 
We're really excited. We have a quarterback we believe in. We have a superstar playmaker. We have playmakers all over the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Uh, we're excited. And I think everyone's allowed to be excited for their football team. I mean, what what do you say when when teams come out a little too excited? Do you say, oh my God, they're so annoying? You say, no, you know what? Let's see. Let's see what happens. You know what? You know, walk before you can cr- crawl. Okay, go go for it, but we'll see. And instead, people are like, oh my God, I can't stand these Browns fans. It's like, yeah, because you're used to us sucking. Now you're not ready for this change. So all I can say is, you know, get ready for the change because it's coming. And people are either going to be with us or against us. There really is no middle ground. You either are like, yeah, I'm all for this Browns movement. Or, um, you know what? I don't believe in them. Stephen A. Smith freaked out the other day about the Browns being considered Super Bowl contenders. And it's because Stephen A. Smith can't wrap his head around the fact that these aren't the Browns that he's used to. Okay? There are a lot of national media members that just chalk it up to, I don't need to do any homework on the Browns. They drafted a young quarterback. They stink. They're going to ruin the quarterback. It's not going to work out. This coach will be fired soon. That's been the the mantra of the Cleveland Browns for like 15, 16 years. That's not the case anymore. We have a coach we all love and we believe in and that the players love and believe in. We have a quarterback that everyone knows is good. You have to do your homework on the Cleveland Browns now. You can't just chalk it up to they stink. Or they're the Browns. LOL, Lowell's Browns, classic Browns. That shit doesn't fly anymore. You now have to pay attention. If you want to talk football and you want to sound knowledgeable about football, you need to know what's going on with the Cleveland Browns because they're going to be one of the most important storylines of this season. You could be against them like Colin Cowherd, who has clearly made himself against them. Uh... He's getting a lot of listeners and viewers because of that, which is fine. You know, that's that's his shtick. But he's made it really clear that when they're good, well, actually, no, he keeps backpedaling because he's gonna he he now has backpedaled into the Browns are such an easy team to figure out. They're gonna make the playoffs and they're gonna get trounced in the playoffs. I'm like, you just said they're a playoff team after like trashing them every chance you can saying it's not going to work, saying Baker Mayfield's going to be a bust, he, you wouldn't draft him, he's undraftable, saying Odell Beckham, is it's it's not going to work out in Cleveland, saying all these negative things all offseason, and then with his prediction saying Browns are so easy to figure out, they're going to make the playoffs, and then they're going to get trounced by the Patriots or a team that's been there before. It's like, are you kidding me? What a, what a way to back into that. I mean, bravo for him for being able to do that, but uh, I mean... Just remember where he started and where and and that he had to back his way into this, like you know, kind of like a coward. Instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? This whole Colin was right, Colin was wrong" thing that he has, maybe maybe include it there. Maybe Colin was wrong, but we'll see. Browns have to prove it. And you know what? Jump on now. Say you were there. Say you were like, you know what? I, I'm I'm all for it because you're either with us or against us. If you don't wear orange or brown, you don't matter. Coach Freddie Kitchens said that. Regardless, I went on a little Browns tangent. I can't. I got. I can't keep doing that. Every time I want to talk about the Browns, I just immediately defend them because that's who I am. That's. I mean, that's what I love. Uh, but that was the whole Odell Beckham thing, and 
the Trevor Bauer stuff is is very comparable. Now, Odo Beckham went on the boat to Miami with a bunch of teammates. He still played that next game. Trevor Bauer playing in the park with uh, <laughs> with his drone, cut his finger, started pitching the next game, got through two batters, stitches came out, bleeding all over the ball, had to be taken out, almost cost the Indians a chance at making the World Series, but if it wasn't for the bullpen that came in and shut that shit down in Toronto and won a miraculous bullpen game because Trevor Bauer uh, got in a fight with a drone. Uh, Trevor also accused another team of cheating, the Houston Astros, with uh, no evidence other than the fact that in one year they improved a shit ton and that their spin rate was like out of control and... Instead of chalking up to the Astros learned that you need to get better if you want to win the World Series, and they did, uh, he accused them of cheating, which is not a good look. Uh, their hitters then like defended their pitchers, saying, like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. And then he gets in fights with their hitters and calling them names and stuff. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Then we get swept by the Astros in the playoffs. You get embarrassed, and you have a whole fan base against you now because Houston, I mean... They fucking hate Trevor Bauer. We'll see if he actually pitches in Houston. If he's still with the Indians. Because uh, they play Houston this week. They play him Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, no. He, he won't get the start anyway. He made his last start on Sunday. So uh, he won't get Houston this year. But he might get traded and might have to face them again. So that was one thing was the Houston Astros. He gets fights online all the time. He basically, like, embarrassed this teenage girl. And it's like... There are just so many things that he does that are so childish. And I know Odell did the childish things too, but Odell, I mean, from what I can tell, he doesn't do this shit to the fans. He seems like a really good guy to the fans. Uh, he just seems ultra-competitive and then takes it out on the sidelines, where, you know, the only thing that Trevor Bauer does wrong is, you know, he, he gets on a little pouting, you know, in the, in the dugout. Uh, after he was about to be taken out on Sunday, his last throw as a Cleveland Indian might be chucking the ball over the center field wall. Uh, that was that was the big story. Was uh, he was on the mound? He was so pissed he took the ball and launched over center field. Tito Francona, you could see mouthing, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Like, yeah, come on, man, grow up. You gave up a couple runs. We're still in this game. Stop showing them that you're a fucking baby. <clears throat> it was a very frustrating inning in Trevor's defense. I mean. He gave up a single. Then there was a long, deep fly ball that Mercado lost in the sun. It should have been an out number one. Instead, it bounced over the wall for a ground rule double. Then he walked somebody. And then he gave up uh, a single that didn't even make it to the pitcher's mound. Uh, so, you know, he's probably looking at that as, wow, that could have been a pop fly out and a double play ball. And instead, they have a run scored and the base is still loaded. And then they get a seeing-eye single that goes underneath Bowers' glove and right between the second baseman and shortstop. I mean, yeah, they could have they could have gotten like five outs there. I understand that. But is the way to react taking the ball and chucking it over center field wall? I mean, I know no, no one sits there, but come on. What are you doing throwing the ball into the stands? The whole thing about, you know, protecting fans right now is that there isn't enough netting around. You don't need to be firing balls into the stands. And people will say, 
Oh, no one sits there. Relax. He knows. He's pitched in Kauffman Stadium before. He knows no one sits there. It's like, all right, well, someone could have been, like, running around up there. Yes, they don't allow seats, but, like, people can move up there. And he's throwing from the fucking pitching mound. Okay? That's, like, 300-plus feet away. And he just chucks it. Like, he wasn't even looking when he threw it. So... He could have thrown it and been like, ooh, that slipped a little bit. That's not exactly where I was planning on throwing it. Or, oh shit, I didn't realize some people were actually walking around there because it was in between a pitching change. <clears throat> it was just stupid. And he knew it immediately. He said to Tito as Tito walked out there, like, the fuck are you doing? And he was like, I'm sorry, man, I shouldn't have done that. And he patted Tito on the shoulder like, yeah, that was on me. That's my bad. But, like, this is the type of thing. It's so easy to get under Trevor Bauer's skin. Uh, I don't know if it's easy to get under Odell's skin. There was the Josh Norman incident, and, I mean, that was just a, a total eruption. So I didn't want to be able to compare, compare the players, but they are very comparable. They are fiery. They have big attitudes. They are big game players. It's hard to compare cross-sport. I don't like usually doing that, but this is pretty good podcast material, so I went for it. But, I mean, look. The big, the big reason to trade Trevor Bauer is money. Uh, if they signed him long term and then traded him, I'd be pissed. Which is, you know, what the Giants did with Odell. But Giants were going in a different direction. Odell didn't want to be there. Trevor, he doesn't want to sign long term deals. He thinks he's better than that. He thinks he deserves top of the market dollar every year. So he wants to sign a one year deal and then cash in next year after another good year and another good year and another good year. Even though. He's only only had like two years under a four ERA. Uh, he, he's he, he gives up. He had a, a lot of control problems early in his career, and that hasn't really gone away. He's just suppressed it. Uh, and this year, the home run has been the big thing. So go to Yankee Stadium, give him a couple home runs, fight the booze, and then talk to reporters after the game saying, "I actually thought I was pretty good today." Uh, if you knew baseball, uh, you would know that. And it's like, it's just it's enough. I don't want the Yankee fans to enjoy Trevor Bauer, but uh, it would be something if Trevor Bauer was traded to the Yankees only a couple months after Odell was traded to the Indians. Uh, both big personalities and uh, big-time gamers. So we'll see what happens with Trevor Bauer. Uh, as long as the Indians get proper return and he doesn't hurt them in the playoffs, I'm cool. I'm cool with that. So moving on. Enough, uh, enough Trevor Bauer. It is July 30th, trade deadlines tomorrow. Haven't done a power rankings this year. I uh, haven't watched enough baseball to really fairly do a power rankings, but looking at the numbers, looking at the standings, looking at the statistics, it's it's a pretty clear power ranking. And I don't want to do it by team by team. I want to go tier by tier. All right. That first tier is the Dodgers and the Astros. I mean, what's tier one? Tier one are teams that right now are, are World Series ready, and at this point, the only things they can improve on are, are basically luxuries. Uh, Astros, they could do, use some uh, starting pitching depth, but they don't need it for the playoffs. They just need it to kind of help them get there and stay in control of their spot. But I really don't think they need to go above and beyond. They have the deepest lineup in baseball. I mean, so deep that they have to keep Kyle Tucker down at AAA and in, in fact, are probably just going to trade him for another ace because that's what they can do. 
Uh, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander are as you know playoff proven and ready to roll. Uh, and I mean, they were the same team they were last year, except they upgraded with Michael Brantley, and he's having an MVP caliber season. Uh, Dodgers, they're the most complete team in baseball. They could use a little bit more bullpen help because they knew that's what killed them last year. So, actually, the last two years, when they lost to the Astros and the Red Sox in the World Series, they both both years knew we could use a better bullpen. And uh, so I, I could see them making small moves. But, again, those Tier 1 teams are small moves only. Then I got Tier 2A. All right, I, I broke this into A and B because it is really tight after those two teams the next like eight teams are very tight. Tier 2A, I have Yankees, Twins, Braves, and Indians. Uh, Yanks, Twins, Braves, all, all in the lead in their division. Twins only have a two-game lead over the Tribe. It was one game before Trevor Bowers tirade and throwing the ball on Sunday. But uh, they have a two-game lead over the Indians. All these teams are like one good trade deadline piece away from being a tier one team. Indians really need another bat or they can need their like uh just have their starting pitchers healthy and then they have the depth that it's like the, this pitching staff is untouchable. Yankees definitely need a starting pitcher. I was gonna put them on tier one, but their starting pitching is so bad that they really need to make a move to get to that point because they could be going into games giving up three runs in the first inning in every playoff game. You know, and that's being nice. Twins have been bombing the shit out of the ball this year. Their lineup has done great. Uh, even though it's filled with a, a bunch of unproven guys, we'll see how they do in the stretch run. They have a lot of easy games with the Royals, the Tigers, the White Sox. Um, but, <coughs> excuse me, they're coming down to earth a little bit. Uh, we're starting to see that, you know what, they're not that historic team that they were at the beginning of the season. And they only have a two-game lead over the Indians. Everyone's, everyone's thinking this Twins team has been running away with the division. They are two games ahead of the Cleveland Indians, and they play them ten times left. And then the Braves, very complete team, but they need more starting pitching as well. Uh, they could use relief pitching, too. So uh, those teams, though, very close to Tier 1. And then Tier 2B, I have as those teams that's like they are competing with the 2A teams, even though I feel like they're a little... Uh, they're a little below them, even though they can give them good shots. And those are the A's, the Rays, and the Red Sox. Uh, basically, the three teams that are saying we're, there's one playoff spot, maybe two if we can catch the Indians or Twins. Uh, those teams, again, they are over, I think, they're doing better than what they should be because the Rays and A's uh, are kind of like 500 teams that have been just playing 10 to 12 games over 500. Red Sox, their pitching's bad, but their hitting is just as good as it was last year. Uh, so I think if they figure that out, they, they're they a dangerous playoff team. Dangerous. They won the World Series last year. Then that Tier 3, all right? Cubs, Nats, Cards, Phils, Brew. So, again, I feel like these are very similar to the 2B teams, but... The National League after the Dodgers and Braves is so jumbled up with a lot of teams that are just above 500 that at the deadline it's like, are they going to go in the right direction or the wrong direction? Um, you know, with the Cubs, they seem to be like they're definitely on the right side of things. 
Phillies Nationals. I'm, I'm, I really want to see that as a playing game. I would love that to be the playoff playing game. Uh, and I'd like to see the Brewers involved. I, I kind of, I kind of have a sweet spot for Milwaukee because I figure them to be a lot like Cleveland in terms of like, um, you know, the small market club and uh, kind of coming to rise out of nowhere, even though they don't have the best uh, franchise success in the past. So I'm, I'm kind of rooting for them, especially since I don't want the Cubs to win anymore ever. Uh, and then that tier four, basically as teams that they're not relevant, but they are there, the Rangers, the Angels, the Giants, and the D-backs. So in that tier, I'm like, you know what, this is the tier of the beginning of irrelevancy, waiting for them to be basically out. Um, Giants and D-backs, it's like they want to sell, but they can't. Uh, Angels, Rangers, they're in no man's land. I have no idea what they're doing. Like, they shouldn't be buyers, but they should be buyers. It's very strange. Like, they're not the A's where it's like the A's can make a run or the Rays can make a run, but... They're they're there in the standings, whereas they should be making a run. I mean, the Angels have Mike Trout. They're kind of wasting away the career of one of the best players ever. This is very similar to like the Le- early LeBron years with the Cavs. That's like, man, uh, Cavs aren't doing shit around LeBron James. So that's kind of what it feels like. But yeah, that's my uh, MLB tier ranking. Uh, it's really just you know the the one, two A, two B, and three. Once the playoffs start. We'll really see if uh, if if playoff rosters can change and and change these tiers at all because you need less starting pitching, you need more bullpen, and it's more timely hitting than just power hitting. Uh, so we'll see. It's exciting stuff. Want to see how the trade deadline works out? And we'll we'll talk about the trade deadline and wrap up in the next podcast because this is kind of like the trade deadline preview of the podcast. But uh, regardless, moving on. Got big birthday plans. I told you about that. Told you about Cape Cod. Uh, I do want to get to a couple OMMRs before our interview with Mac. Uh, Start off with Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay. Spoiler alert, by the way. 42-14 into the pod. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Spider-Man Far From Home, if you haven't seen Godzilla King of the Monsters, and you haven't seen Skyscraper and you want to go ahead and skip ahead, you should do that now. Okay, uh, first of all, Spider-Man Far From Home. What a great way to lead in to the next phase of Marvel. Uh, and I'll get to, I mean, this was the end of Marvel Phase 3, Phase 4. I don't even know what phases they are anymore. I think this was Marvel Phase 4, regardless. The end of the Marvel Phase it was going to be really hard to back up Avengers, but they did such a great job of that. And after, you know, what, what happened with, you know, Tony Stark died, Captain America is an old man now. Uh, th- like Thor really don't know his path just yet. They were kind of looking for a path. And with Spider-Man, they, they brought things down to a very a much smaller level. They're like back to the neighborhood, Spider-Man, but they did such a great job of bringing in the next phase. Now, they did confuse me, though, because I'm very curious to see what the next Spider-Man movie is going to bring out. They, um, they didn't announce anything Spider-Man related at Comic-Con. And I want to do a quick Comic-Con. So before we get into the 
shit. All right, I got to do this Comic-Con now. All right, Comic-Con was awesome. Comic-Con was great. I want to go. I can't believe I've never gone. Uh, it's in San Diego, and this this is right up my alley. But Marvel had their big announcement. They did their new timeline, and they've got boom. They've the big announcement was Blade. No one saw Blade coming. Uh, you've got Black Widow movie. It's gonna take place uh, after Civil War, but before Avengers. So uh, we'll see what Natasha Romanoff was doing, kind of on her own for a little bit, and. Really curious to see how that ties in, if, if they just make it like a standalone Black Widow movie, or if they make this somewhat of a little out there, a little crazy. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm curious to see if Taskmaster, the bad guy in this movie, is going to be in Marvel movies to come, or if he's just a one-off uh, villain. But after Black Panther, or <laughs> Black Widow, Black Widow. It's going to be a break until they bring out uh, Captain, or uh, not Captain, but Captain Falcon, I guess you can put it as, because now he has a shield, and Winter Soldier. And that'll be on Disney Plus, which I'm excited for. That comes out in November. Okay. You know what? Actually, there's a lot to get through, so I'm going to make this easy. But you've got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, that should be a lot of fun, kind of like a buddy cop Disney Plus series. Uh, it'll be a fun one. Uh, also coming to Disney Plus is Hawkeye series. Uh, less excited for that one. And the What If series. Very excited for that one because that's going to be a cartoon. Uh, I hope they make it in the stylized comic book like like version of it. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's going to be the narrator and it's going to be basically... A bunch of, you know, bunch of episodes where it's like, what if Peggy Carter became Captain America? Like, you know, got the Captain America serum. Uh, what if Loki didn't escape with the Tesseract? What if this and that? Like, there are going to be a lot of different stories, and they're going to bring back a lot of the voices that we're used to. So it's pretty cool that they're going to have this. It's going to be a cartoon. I think that's going to actually be a lot of fun, even though it's not going to really have much to do with the story, the timeline, because it's going to be a lot of different things. I think it's just fun, and to be honest, I think they're going to dive down one of those what-if holes, and I think they might have a what-if episode turn into that's actually happening in a different universe, and then they can develop off that, whether it's Blade-related, whether it's Captain-related. There are so many different ways they can go. I think you got to watch out for a what-if episode actually mattering. So they're going to make you watch these. Uh, big announcement was Eternals. The next one that's coming for uh, the summer 2020. That'll be that'll be really exciting because I think they should do as much space stuff as possible. As much outer space episodes, period. Because I think that's their money maker. That's their bread and butter. Uh, would be, you know, with what Thor and Captain Marvel and Guardians of the Galaxy. All of that... Uh, stuff that's basically out there. It's, it's you know, cosmic. Thank you. Oh, my God. I was forgetting what the fucking word was. But the cosmic realm, I think that's their best bet. Um, they're also bringing in Shang-Chi uh, and Legend of the Ten Rings. Be very interesting because every time that they kind of take off and do a, a different one, 
they do so well with it. Like, people don't know anything about, really, Shang-Chi, other than he's going to be the first Asian-American superhero. And I, I'm excited. I think it will I think it has a potential to really surprise people. Uh, and, of course, there's also Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That's the next Doctor Strange one. It's going to be the first horror film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Be interested to see what they define as horror because it's still going to be Disney, ABC, and this Marvel Universe. Uh, but I bet it's going to be scary. The bad guy is literally Nightmare, so why not? And uh, they will be tying in to WandaVision in that because Wanda Maximoff will be in that movie. So I feel like that's going to be a staple of this next phase will be how WandaVision does on the Disney Plus. You're going to have to watch it because the big movie coming out that spring will be Doctor St- or fall will be Doctor Strange and that's the fall of uh, 2021. You're going to have to know what happens in WandaVision because Wanda's going to be in the multiverse of madness and we'll see how many multiverses there are and what's going on with the different universes. So uh, we'll look, I, I think it's going to be good. I think Kevin Feige's got a plan. We shouldn't doubt these people. They, they've built enough good grace that we should just trust them. Uh, there will also be a Loki series. Uh, less excited... <coughs> excuse me. Less excited for the Loki series because, again, it's not going to matter a whole lot. And to be honest, I don't know how much... Well, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what characters they bring in. Are they going to go back and, and have Chris Emsworth in it? And he's going to be Thor? Or is Loki going to be just causing mischief and rioting everywhere i'm very they didn't announce who else is going to be in the loki show uh again don't have to worry about that until 2021 but that's just an interesting uh thing to keep in mind and uh of course thor love and thunder this this was the big one it's the one we have to wait the longest for which stinks but it's probably going to be the best one because it's got Taika Waititi coming back as the director. They're bringing back Jane Foster, Natalie Portman, which is big, and she's going to be Lady Thor in it because she was, uh, which is like cool in the comics. But we'll see how they do because I'm not really the biggest Jane Foster fan. I thought when they wrote her off, that was fine, and we didn't need her anymore. Um, they're going to bring back Valkyrie. They're going to bring back Taika Waititi's characters, which are, were a lot of fun. Uh, I think we need as much cosmic as possible. So Thor Love and Thunder is going to be great. Please don't have it take place on Earth. Go go somewhere else. Involve the Guardians. Involve Beta Ray Bill. Involve Nova. Do what do whatever you can to bring in new characters and keep on developing the cosmic realm of these things. Because that's where all that's where all the fun happens. And uh, that that one I'm most excited for. But the big thing about this Marvel, and of course I mentioned Blade before, which played by Mahershala Ali is going to be awesome. That's a big one. Um, so th- those are the big releases. But the thing was, and and there's going to be another Disney Summit before the end of the summer, so we will learn more then. But I want to know, what's going to happen with the next Spider-Man? When are we going to see the Fantastic Four and or any X-Men characters? Um... What's going on with Black Panther, the next Black Panther movie? There's rumors of Neymar. <clears throat> and who's Keanu Reeves going to play? Because they're, they're talking about him. 
He's not in the Eternals cast. <coughs> Excuse me, I've been talking too long. Where is he going to fit in? Is he going to be Craven, the Hunter? I'm I'm very curious to see what sequels come out. Are, are we done with Ant Man? Are we done with Hulk? Where do some of these guys come in that don't really have their standalone movies? Doctor Strange has his sequel, but we're waiting on Black Panther, which seems like kind of a miss. Uh, so we'll see what they have to roll out and if they have any other announcements. But uh, it's it's uh, that'll be interesting because I'm still waiting to hear on some of that. Okay, back to some OMMRs. All right. Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, this was great. It was better than the first Spider-Man. I have this as one of my top 10 MCU movies. I have to do a reorder of them all because I, I couldn't believe that I liked this so much. Oh my gosh, there's my alarm. But uh, Tom Holland was great. Zendaya, they, they the chemistry is fine, but their characters are cool. And the, the Quentin Beck stole the show. Jake Gyllenhaal killed it as one of the best Marvel Cinematic Universe villains uh, that we've seen to date. Uh, his Mysterio was very cool that it, he wasn't like a magician or, or anything like that, and, and that he was a former Stark employee, which was a great way to go with this because I thought, you know what, as, uh, like, you know what, now that Tony's gone, Mysterio comes in kind of trying to take that, like, Tony Stark mantle and the whole problem in this movie was Quentin Beck and his team of former Stark employees uh including Peter Billingsley that of uh a Christmas story his you know former disgruntled Stark employees are kind of getting back to being the greatest superhero ever but he lets this kind of get to his head uh he saves a couple fake monsters that are computer images that drones are setting up as the images and using explosions and, and other things that they choose and time out, it makes it look like he's actually fighting real bad guys. Now, it'll be... It would have been interesting to see where this goes, but he died in the movie, and before he died, he released a video and sent it to, you know, no, no one other than J. Jonah Jameson, played by... Uh, oh my gosh, not J.K. Rowling, geez, J.K. Simmons, and uh, who I'm so excited is back in this MCU. Uh, he was great in Whiplash, and he's great as Jane or Joan Jameson. He's going to be great as him again. But uh, that's how the movie ended was Peter, yes, he, t he took down, uh, he, he, he finally took up the mantle that Tony Stark left to him. He took on the responsibilities, got his Tony's glasses and all of his tech and everything, and after trusting Quentin Beck with that technology, had to fight him, took down Quentin Beck, but then Quentin Beck sends that message. Is he dead? Not sure. Uh, I like that they kind of kept that a mystery because I would like him to be back in the next fa uh, in the next Spider-Man. I hope they do a Sinister Six for the next Spider-Man. That's all I'm saying because I think they all they still have Michael Keaton out there in jail, and they set up if they want to. Chameleon with Dimitri, the Scorpion with Mac Gargan, also in jail, uh, the Tinkerer, uh, and Shocker, who were kind of working with Michael Keaton. Then you have Mysterio. 
There are so many ways you can go with the Sinister Six. And this isn't even mentioning the Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Electro. Spider-Man's got a lot of... And Kraven the Hunter. There are so many good bad guys that they can do in uh, Spider-Man's universe. So I think they should try and exercise that. But we are going to wait to see what the next... Uh, bad guy is in the spider-man one because we're still waiting to see what the next spider-man movie will be and when it comes out hopefully they'll keep it to like two years they've mentioned that tom holland is done after his next spider-man movie i kind of think they'll keep him going with that uh i don't think they're just gonna like cut him loose just yet but in terms of the actual movie itself spider-man far from home uh i give it an a minus in terms of what it was in the MCU. It was one of the better MCU movies. Um, and it had the responsibility of bringing on the la- the next phase without even the promise of a next Spider-Man. And after what was the greatest conclusion of ev- any phase, the Avengers, how were you going to conclude after that? It, it, was, it, it, was, it was more so the first movie of the next phase than the last, fo- last movie of this phase, but very cool altogether. Uh, that's enough Marvel talk for this one. So I give it an A minus. You know, like a ninety-one out of a hundred. Really good movie. I gotta go see it again. Uh, I know Sam doesn't want to see it anymore, but I do. All right. Next up, Godzilla. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Not a very good movie. Gonna give this one like a forty-five out of a hundred. Uh, look, if all you want are monsters just taking shit down with a very kind of weird plot of oh we need to nuke the monster to make him stronger again so he can fight other monsters cool like it's it's a great movie to turn your brain off and just go enjoy because that's what a godzilla movie is kind of all about at the end of the day uh effects were really cool uh they definitely brought in where they could go from here because uh king kong's still out there there are still more monsters that they brought in in this movie so, uh, it, visually, awesome movie. Uh, story, it's whatever. Uh, 45 is actually way too harsh because this was, you know what, if you know what you're getting, you love it. So, uh, I'm changing my score from a 45 to one thumbs up. You know, it's not two thumbs up. It's one thumb up because if you know what you're going for, you're going to love it. I'm not going to say go see this if you're not interested. Uh, this isn't like a Marvel movie where it could get new fans. You're either a Godzilla and Monsters fan or you're not. Uh, but this movie, it was right down the middle. You knew exactly what you're getting. And if you wanted to see that, you left happy. And if that's not your thing, why did you go see that movie? Anyway, next up is Skyscraper. Watch this one on HBO at home. Uh, again, kind of knew exactly what was going to happen. It was a typical rock movie, except in this one, he was missing a leg. Uh, the bad guys, I kind of liked them. I thought this was, I didn't realize it was going to be a terrorism movie. I thought it was going to be a disaster movie. Turns out it was a terrorism slash disaster movie, uh, where a bad guy turns into a good guy towards the end. And then the actual bad guys, the terrorists, uh, they all get killed. Uh, Big, big problem with the penultimate scene where The Rock kills the bad guy, uh, the main bad guy, where he's in this room of mirrors, 
and he thinks the rock is on the other side of like a big hole at the top of the skyscraper and uh it turns out the rock is actually right behind him uh i was wondering why didn't he hear him right behind him when they were talking to each other he was like shouting above a hole and the rock was shouting back to him uh if that was the case wouldn't he just see the rock behind him anyway i don't know uh it, it was a lot of fun it was exactly what we expected uh again kind of like godzilla i'm i'm gonna say it's uh i'm gonna leave it at a not see it though yeah uh the rock has a lot of goodwill he has a lot of good stuff out there this is not the movie i would go see if you're uh if you're looking to see a rock movie but if you love the rock and you love everything he does cool go see it but in terms of a yes no binary scale one or zero given it a zero so that's it on, on Skyscraper. All right, so thank you all for listening to uh, this episode of The Jake. Again, it's like episode 80, but also episode 81. Uh, so maybe I'll just do episode 81 part two. So uh, thank you for listening. And now please enjoy my interview with Mac Robinson. Okay, so a very special guest this week on The Jake. Uh, as NFL training camp is starting up, a very exciting time for Cleveland Browns fans and thought for everybody we'd get a very special guest the OBR's Mac Robinson Mac thank you for joining the Jake podcast uh thanks Jake thanks for having me yeah so uh look there's got to be more excitement around this camp in you know since forever which is funny because after last year with Tyrod coming in and you know the emergence of Baker and you know, hard knocks, you'd figure that that was going to be the biggest one, but this one is kind of like, you know, sweeping that away. Uh, what are you seeing right now from like Freddie Kitchen's first time in camp as the head coach? Like, uh, give me a little like general, whatever you're seeing out there. Um, I, I would say that these practices and, and mind you, I, I, I've been at the last two training camps as well. So I was in 2017. I was there in 2018 as well. And uh, for me, being able to go ahead and see the kind of change between Hugh Jackson going into Freddie Kitchens, really, I mean, the best the best part about it, I would say, is that it seems more concise. Mm-hmm. And then the other aspect of it is that there seems to be a more more of a focus, less on scheme and more on technique that we haven't seen over the last few years. And really, I think that overall, just seeing the team overall, they've really responded well. And I think that that might... Uh, that might help out with some of the issues that you've seen over the last couple of years, whether it be some breakdowns in coverages or even to the whole missed tackles issue that uh, you've been seeing over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, you know, it's funny that you said you were there for 2017. So you're hopefully seeing opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of uh, results, which is uh, pretty funny, but that's how quickly it's kind of going on right now. Um, are you, are you thinking that like, Freddie might have a problem with cracking the whip at all because the one thing that everyone knows about Freddie is that he's kind of like the player's guy, but he says all the right things to the media, and every time I see him in front of the podium, he says exactly what I as a fan want to hear. So how do you think he's like balancing that type of thing of being the player's guy but also you know getting the team ready for where they need to be? Well, and that's a good question too because I, I think that when it comes to Freddie, and obviously there are so many different, uh, there's so much balance when it comes to that as well that you got to kind of that you got to toe 
uh, that line when you're talking about being a player's coach. But at the same time, I think Freddie has shown, um, especially after the whole Chad Thomas and uh, Farrell Brown issue that popped up a couple days ago, where really I think this is the closest I've seen this team uh, over the last three years, honestly, and really seeing these guys play well together. And on top of that, too, when there needs to be discipline, he's throwing out discipline. He's making the team run those run those uh, those sprints. And on top of that, too, if he doesn't like it, he's going to keep on sending them. And compared to the fact that over the last couple of years, I think that Hugh Jackson didn't necessarily play that line all that well. Uh, when you talk about giving the vets days off and everything like that, well, I'm not opposed to that. At the same time, though, Freddie has also kind of stuck behind what he talked about last year in Hard Knocks, like you mentioned. But the fact that Freddie really has put players in pads, at least so that he's so that those players are surrounded by teammates instead of just sitting on the bikes. So I, I like what I've seen from Freddie regarding that. Not, and I don't think that he's afraid to kind of crack the whip, if you will. Great, great. Okay, that was your warm-up question because this segment, which – uh, is titled Six Dangerous Questions, uh, uh, you know, with the whole Baker Mayfield thing. Uh, that's the warm-up one. Now we're going into it. Uh, OBJ has, you know, his plenty of haters now. I live in New Jersey. I don't know if you knew that. And I know plenty of Giant fans who are done with OBJ. And I'm trying to defend him as much as I can because I'm really excited for this season. And I think OBJ is kind of misunderstood uh what do you, what do you think is his impact right now? Like, what are we seeing? You know, like forget OTAs, forget everything that he's done with the Giants. What are you seeing in camp that like are the players rallying around him? Is he bringing a good presence to the team? Give me something good. So when it comes to when it comes to OBJ, I think that uh, we can talk about two different folds here. So there's off, there's off the field OBJ, and then there's on the field OBJ. Off the field OBJ, I mean, obviously he's doing uh, good stuff for the community when it comes to talking to the kids, getting the signing autographs for them and everything like that. But also off the field, he's also helping out those younger receivers. And Jarvis Landry talked about it basically where, and even Odell did to an extent, where the fact that last year in Hard Knocks you saw uh, Jarvis kind of take that, take that role as that leader in that wide receiver room, Odell has also kind of helped out with that as well and really helped step up in that regard as one of the leaders to take some of those receivers under his wing. But on top of that, um, I also think that Odell has really stepped up his game and really matured as well, kind of coming over to Cleveland. And he's able to be himself, which I think is a little bit freeing for him as well. But on top of that, on the field, I think his impact is tremendous. And obviously Odell Beckham is one of the best receivers in the NFL, but I also think that you have to take a look at the impact that he has on other on the other receivers and the other uh, the other skill positions, because I think that not only do you, when you have an Odell Beckham, you have to pay attention to him no matter what. But in the same sense, you have Jarvis Landry, who's been put into a comfortable role that he's in, which is in the slot, and he's going to be that guy who's going to move the chains for you and be that kind of grinded out receiver. And then you also have a Rashard Higgins, who I loved this yeah. season because he's really a possession guy uh, for this team. But on top of that too, David Njoku is going to be a big red zone threat and Odell Beckham being there frees up a lot of that coverage for those guys and gives Baker those options. Yeah. It's really great because uh, you know, 
you just look at the offense last year and how much they were clicking, and then you say, take Prashad Perriman and replace him with Odell Beckham Jr., and that's the offense now. And and it's it's pretty wild to, to kind of see that happening uh, right in front of our eyes. It's still kind of like hard to comprehend all these things that are happening for the Browns. So with that being said, you know, you mentioned Richard Higgins and how he has jumped up and getting a lot of the uh, first team reps that some people didn't think might happen. Uh, they thought, you know, maybe it was Callaway in front of him. But uh, is that the camp battle that intrigues you the most? Or maybe it's kicker? I mean, I know that's important. You know, it's funny that people say that, but it is important. Or maybe, like, you know, our first uh, first pick in the draft, Greedy, versus uh, Terrence Mitchell and anyone else for the outside. Like, what, what camp battle right now are you seeing that's something to keep your eye on? Well, and it... It might not be the flashiest, but it's the one that I think is going to take the most time to develop throughout camp, and it's that right guard. And I've really been focusing on that day in, day out, because they've really been uh, switching out the starters and everything like that each and every day. Uh, It's a three-man battle right now uh, between Kyle Kalis and uh, Austin Corbett, as well as Eric Cush, as well, at that right guard spot. And really, none of them has stuck out to me. But I also wonder if that's also because of the fact that this Browns defensive line is stacked. So I'm really right. going to be interested in to see how they play going up against the Washington Redskins in that first preseason game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really been the biggest battle that I've been watching. Yeah, yeah, I heard that Freddie Kitchens was kind of, you know, not happy with the right guards because he was hoped that somebody would take it over by now, and no one has really stepped up and. You're hoping that it's because every game they're or every rep they're going up against Larry Okunjobi or Sheldon Richardson or one of those ends crashing in, uh, but yeah, that is something to watch out. And I've said it last. I said it last year. I'm like, you know, this O line performed so well. We've seen Baker Mayfield perform well with a good O line. You know, when he was playing the Texans and he was scrambling a lot and on his back foot throwing, he was not his best self. So. I think offensive line is something people are kind of overlooking right now. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that's a very important, uh, important battle to keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of like any position now, who has really stood out? Is there anyone that maybe you didn't think like you know, whoa, check this guy out? Like uh, who has stood out that really no one would think to talk about, especially on a team loaded with some superstars? Well, Je- I'll give you a couple players here. Cool. So. Um, the one right off the bat, and um, they they all kind of battle each other, the three that I'm going to give you. But I'll start off by saying Damon Sheehy Giuseppe uh, has been somebody who's really kind of caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he had a little bit of a rough day yesterday, but at the same time, um, he really flashed in those couple of early practices where he was able to beat Terrence Mitchell deep on a, on a nine route down the left sideline. Then coming back on the other side, he was able to just out-muscle Robert Jackson for a jump ball. So really, he's had a solid few days, but it'll be interesting to see tomorrow how he's able to re- uh, rebound from his rough day yesterday. Uh, but on top of that, too, the other two that I got to say are uh, Blake Jackson has mm. really looked good, and he's uh, really flash uh, each day pretty much, where you can at least expect a couple of big plays from him each and every day. Uh, so he's really stood out and really improved from last year. And the other one, as you mentioned, Greedy Williams. Yeah. I mean, I I knew that he was good when it came to ball skills. And I knew he was good in man coverage. But I didn't expect he would be this good this early. 
I thought that, you know, there would be a little bit of an adjustment period for him getting used to the NFL speed and everything like that. But he has really impressed me so far. I'm interested to see how he kind of shows out in games and see how he's able to develop as the kind of preseason goes on. I really like what I've seen from Greedy. And even yeah. in talking with the media and everything like that, he seems pretty comfortable with joking around with everybody. I'm really excited to see how he plays. Okay. All right. I love those answers. Um, I mean, you know, you want the rookie, Greedy, to be showing up because, you know, we expect big things. Uh, I've, I've been following Blake Jackson on Instagram for a while, and I know he works out with some of these guys, so uh, it's pretty cool that he's in, in there. But DSG is a really cool story, and I've been wanting him to make this team because guys like him are exactly why, like, guys like me play D3 football and you know you want to you know put out put it out there because you you want to be the best you can be is does he bring anything to kick return I know I'm going a little off script but is he going to bring anything to kick returning and do you do you think he has a shot at like you know after those first four receivers how do you kind of see that like shaking out on the final roster uh, I will say it's going to be tough for him it's going to yeah. be tough because I, he's going to need to be electric as a kick returner mm -hmm. uh, because he's going up against Antonio Callaway. He's yeah. going up against uh, Dontrell Hilliard, who's also really uh, looked good in my opinion mm -hmm. um, and even got some first team reps a little bit here and there. But at the same time, though, uh, looking at DSG, he's got the speed that you want. Um, but as of right now, I mean, looking at, like you said, the receiver room, um, Derek Willies actually has looked pretty good Ooh, cool. uh, so far. So that and that's the thing, and the other the other aspect of it too is the fact that Damian Radley has been out uh, so far since day one, and so it, it, that's another kind of wild card that kind of plays into all of this, and that's why I think Blake Jackson has a shot to make the team because of the fact that Radley hasn't really been playing, Willie's has really stood out, Jackson has really stood out, and so for DSG that's really it's an uphill battle that he's going to have to climb. But there's a chance still, I would say. But he's really got to he's really got to stand out in those preseason games. Yeah, it should be interesting. I'm I'm gonna. There will be a lot of reason to watch the third team wide receivers because it's going to be a really fun battle uh, after those first four. And uh, I like that you said uh, Hilliard is uh, is getting some reps. As long as he's not throwing the ball, I'm cool. Uh, I like that. <laughs> well, the crazy stat that I found out is the fact that he has a, one more interception than he has rushing attempts. <laughs> oh, he hasn't wow. Even rushed the ball. He hasn't even rushed the ball yet. Yeah, you're right. Like, he got in a lot, but just not carries. Exactly. And so that that's the part that I'm really looking forward to mm -hmm. is the fact that all the word coming out of mini camps and OTAs and even coming in a training camp now has been he really has been that guy who's impressing the coaching staff as he's kind of gone along here. And he's somebody that I really think can make an impact on this team as a change of pace back. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. Good to hear. All right, uh, two questions left. I got, you know, a lot of the things I'm hearing about are Mac Wilson and Sione Taki Taki. Uh, before they put pads on, Taki Taki apparently was taking things a little too rough, uh, <laughs> which, you know, like the, that, that's not the worst thing to see out of a rookie, to be honest. And a lot of people said Mac Wilson's athleticism is really like killing it. Um, when they took these two guys, that was the first domino that I thought led to the Joe Schobert's not going to get an extension because Dorsey's hoping he can replace within. Now, regardless of that theory, what do you think of these linebackers? Are they going to make an impact year one? And is it a possible 
long-term replacement for Joe Schobert if they're not looking to spend money at middle linebacker? Well, here's here's what I'll say is that I, year one, I think that we need to kind of saw our roles a little bit because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, I I love what I've seen out of Taki Taki. I love the aggressiveness and everything. Yeah. But we also got to remember he's coming out of BYU. He's going to take a little bit of time to kind of get used to that speed. He's somebody where, in the same way that I I was expecting Greedy to take a little bit of time, he's kind of taking that rookie uh, learning curve that I kind of expected. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of waiting to see him develop. But Mac Wilson is somebody who I thought has been interesting. Like you said, the athletic ability is really showing out. Um, so he's somebody who I could see getting some mix in a little bit. But when you have Kirksey and when you have Schobert as your linebackers to start, I think that for those two, that's somebody who I think they rely on. And to your question about kind of going forward, I don't necessarily know if it's an indictment on Schobert or the possibility that Schobert leaves. I think that out of anything – uh, if you're looking at a three linebacker set with this team, I think that going forward you could see Christian Kirksey get let go, yeah, and then you can go ahead and move Schobert over to the uh, weak side linebacking position with Mac Wilson taking over the middle, and then you have Taki Taki at the strong side linebacker. Yeah, I mean Chris Kirksey's been you know really a great Cleveland Brown for a while. He's endured some of these really bad teams, just like Duke Johnson and Batonio have. So you know I hate to be like cynical, but this is a game of numbers and. When you have that much money in, you know, your wide receiver core and likely not going anywhere because part of the draw to the Browns and having OBJ was having Jarvis Landry here. And we're going to have other guys to pay. Chris Kirksey just doesn't seem like the one they might shell that money out to. And when they are able to release his $8 million hold or whatever that is, that might be where it has to come from. So. Um, yeah, you're, so I'm kind of with you there, but again, that's, that's for March to decide. That's not really now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We still got a full season ahead of us. I know we got a lot of football left. So, all right. (laughs) Final question. This is Baker's team. Now last year he had to deal with Hugh Jackson, which we've seen is, is not easy. Um, he had to deal with the fact that he was coming in as a rookie and had to deal with the whole rookie bumps, but also he was taking on like the pros pro and Tyrod Taylor, who was asked to come in here and settle everything down. Completely different situation this year. He's going in with the coach that he kind of no one loves uh, because they had a bond last year from coming up together at the same time. There's no competition for the quarterback spot. This is his team. It's you know Whether or not Tony Grossi and Colin Coward want to get on board, it, it, this is Baker Mayfield's team, and this he is the guy. Has he taken that leadership role has like what is he showing on the field that this is Baker Mayfield's team and he's the guy that can take the Browns to the playoffs this year? Well, I think that when it comes to Baker, he's really kind of shown that from the start too. And I mean, even kind of jokingly, like some of us in the media keep on joking the fact that uh, there's a lot of the media that will be kind of standing around and waiting for the players to come out of the of the locker room to run out onto the field and. You know, there's there's been a few days where Baker will go go out the other side of the locker room, so he kind of avoids everybody, or will just really quickly run through the line. And really, when it comes to him, when he's on the field, he's all business. Yeah. And and that's the one thing that I, I got to give him a lot of credit for is that coming in, he has that mentality. And on top of that, too, I got to say that when it comes to Baker, really, it just stands out the fact that he's not afraid to go ahead and call you out if something's going on. So, for, for one example, um, on Saturday, uh, the defense was playing really well, 
And so they were pretty much playing man coverage going up against the receivers in 11 on 11. And the corners had them locked down down the field. It was probably five seconds or so. And then Baker's just running out of the pocket. And he ends up having to throw it away because literally nobody got open. And it seemed like some of the guys were kind of slowing up a little bit. And even still, Baker just starts screaming down the field. And I can't, re- I can't re- relay this just because it's not safe for work. But at the same time, though, Baker was really just going in and yeah. not afraid to go ahead and call out his receivers and just go, look, this isn't a scramble drill. Okay, you guys got to go ahead, get, find a way to get open. At a certain point, you guys got to find a way. And he's basically laying into these guys because of the fact that some of them, it seemed like they were slowing up a little bit. So he's not afraid to go ahead and call you out if there's anything, if he thinks that you're giving a less than 100%. So I love what I've seen from Baker so far as a leader. And I think that obviously on the field stuff, that's going to kind of grow with him. And it's really, I'm interested to see how he's able to kind of go into this, into the season. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. I mean, this is new to a lot of Browns fans because we've never had a young quarterback that we're so confident in. But uh, it's really refreshing to see this all happening. Um, it's going to be an exciting season. Uh, it, are you going to any games? Do you uh, do you plan on going out there? Because I'm going to be out there for week one. I'll be out here for week two at uh, Monday night with the Jets, and I plan on doing another one later in the season. This is going to be a fun year. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping to get uh, credentialed for some of the games this year. So I, I'm planning on being down there for a few. I'll, I'll let everybody know if I'm heading down there. But, um, yeah, I, I should be down there for a few games at least. Excellent. Really cool stuff. Mac, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're a great guest, and I'd love to have you on in the future too. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, man. I had a great time. Awesome. And congratulations with the new gig at the OBR. Looking forward to uh, checking out all your stuff there. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, man. All right. Have a good week. Thanks. You too. All right. And that was Mac Robinson. Mac was a great guest. Very insightful guy for the Cleveland Browns. You know, we're fortunate here at the Jake Podcast. We've had a lot of great guests close to the Browns. We've had Jake Burns. We've had Damon Keckman. We've had Jeff Lloyd. We've had Brendan Leister. Add Mac Robinson to the pile. Uh, I'm getting. I'm buddying up with all the Browns. Uh, the Browns insiders. This is great stuff. But uh, thank you all for listening to this episode. This was a great one, Mac. Thank you very much for coming on the Jake Podcast. We got a big entertainment one next week. We're going to be reviewing Hard Knocks. We're going to be reviewing the end of Euphoria, Stranger Things, uh, the TV show i love you now die the uh hbo special that was really messed up um bachelorette season we're doing a bachelor in paradise preview we're doing a nostalgia throwbacks to con air and mcgruber it's gonna be a fun episode hope you enjoyed this one and everyone have a great week